Welcome to Catholic Family Stories. Hey guys, it's Emily. As you may have guessed, our family loves fairy tales. Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Rapunzel, all the classics, as well as superhero movies and anything by C.S. Lewis or Tolkien. When you are in love, all the world is a story about this love. Amazingly so, it really is. You may have suspected that all beautiful fairy tales and adventures are simply a retelling of the one true story, whether their authors realize it or not. What's up guys, it's Joey. This next story was my father's not-so-veiled attempt to share that great tale from which all others originate. It was not coincidental that this story was written for my brother Nicholas on the joyful occasion of his first Holy Communion. The great story is about the Eucharist, as J.R.R. Tolkien wrote to his own son, Out of the darkness of my life, so much frustrated, I put before you the one great thing to love on earth, the Blessed Sacrament. There you will find romance, glory, honor, fidelity, and the true way of all your loves on earth. This is also a fitting story in the craziness of the current times, to help us recognize the powers at play within society and the impact of our own decisions. Be assured that the powerful victory in Christ is ours at all times. The story is written over and over again in our hearts. We happily share with you On Your First Communion by Joseph Scordato. Children, I think you may know this story in your heart. You have heard whispers of it in other stories you know well. This story is ancient and new, timeless and true. It is the first story of all tales and forms the legend of your own life. There once was a kind and loving king. Although he possessed and ruled all for as far as the eye could see, he had only a son to call his family. His son, the prince, loved his father and their kingdom very much. As he grew into a young man, all could see his father's love and wisdom in him. The love the father and son shared was so great that one day they decided that their joy needed to be shared with others. It was time for their family to grow. The prince thought, How can a family grow without a mother? The son was determined to find a mother. The king was determined to find a queen. So as all good stories about kings, princes, and maidens would later tell, the king threw a great feast, a ball for the entire kingdom. Royal invitations went out, even to the poor. The king offered to provide proper clothing for each guest so that all, regardless of their wealth, could attend and celebrate in glorious attire fitting for the beauty of the occasion. Living in the village was a former captain of the king's guard. He had been the best of all the king's warriors. He was the strongest, the fastest, 
the most cunning and the most handsome. Unfortunately, so great was his pride that he held all others in contempt. He took it as his duty of leadership to criticize and would do so to further display his superiority. Even the king, he eventually reasoned, was inferior because he was not him. He became the king's enemy and seized every opportunity to steal victories from the king to prove his greatness in attempts to convince others that the king was weak. His treasonous thoughts and attitudes consumed him until he became a frustrated creature prone to tantrums, conniving deceptions, and wickedness. He was expelled from the king's guard. I shall call him Merc in this story, for his brooding and evil designs are veiled like the murkiness of a dark bog slithering of unseen dangers, or like the murky words devious writers put together to plant doubts and fears of the truth, or also like the murk of a song whose enticing melodies and rhythms hide sinister lyrics designed to steal children away from what is good. Merck, infuriated by anything the king did, saw an opportunity to mock and spoil the king's plans. He sent out an invitation to a great party of his own design to be held on the same date as the king's. His sly invitation clearly stipulated that not only could guests come as they were, but that all confusing and silly rules of decorum would be suspended. As a matter of fact, the invitation further announced that at this party, all of the king's laws would be dismissed and that everyone who attended the party would be able to act freely in any manner they wished. As a further inducement, the invitation promised a ring of precious metal to be given to each partygoer. The ring would be a sign of their own kingship to make rules and live according to their own desires from that moment forward. He called it the People's Party. As the day for the king's great feast neared, regrets came from many of the king's court and household. They would not be able to attend the feast. They would be going to Merck's party, which seemed to promise more delights for themselves. The king pleaded with them to stay for the sake of the prince and the guests. Unfortunately, an evening of pleasure outweighed their taste for a day of hard work. The king's staff left his service. Rather than cancel the party, the wise king in turn extended the invitation to the whole world. On the day of the party, many people came to Merck's home. True to the invitation, the guests were allowed to do whatever they wanted, to break any rule and to crown themselves kings. Merck distributed the promised rings. They were constructed of a strong and rare metal the size of bracelets. Merck explained that they were the rings of giants and that upon wearing them, 
they too would become like giants, powerful enough to claim any desire they wished to chain to themselves and to possess them for all eternity. He opened the doors of his hall, presenting to his thrilled devotees spectacular displays of food, riches, titles, and other allurements. He beckoned the guests to take and seize to their heart's content. A terrible fury ensued, for since all rules and gentleness were cast away, the guests rushed and grabbed and fought and envied and raged and stole until they each had chained as many of their desires as their wrists could hold. Eventually, the guests hatched a clever idea in attempt to satisfy their now insatiable and uncontrollable hungers. They began to chain others to themselves as slaves, declaring the right of power over one another and their catches. Those who were not strong and would not allow themselves to be enslaved were killed and the spoils worn as necklaces and ankle bracelets. Merck satisfied himself with his favorite crooked grin. At the close of the evening, all he surveyed were now shackled and his possession to torment. He could mock and insult for eternity. He crowned himself the Prince of Darkness. <laughs> At the palace, those faithful to the king, as well as those who were poor and in need of clothing, came to the feast. They entered the great hall. The good king bade them a hearty welcome as the first course was served. A hushed silence swept over the guests. The prince, in servant garb, entered the hall alone and began to serve the meal with the kind and gentle manner expected of one of true nobility. Since the household staff had abandoned the king for Merck's party, no one was left but the prince to perform the service. Noticing that he had attracted everyone's attention, he smiled lovingly with valor and strength, kindly inviting the guests to join him in the preparing and serving of the meal. For some, the prince's invitation was received with insult. After all, they had been the ones invited to the feast not hired to serve, these guests hurriedly departed for Merck's party. There was a young and beautiful maid that attended the feast. She was poor, but because of her grace, held all children tenderly in her heart. The children who knew her called her mama. One of these children was a young red-haired boy whose hair seemed to burn gloriously bright like a halo when he was with the maid. His eyes and smile gleamed with joy, reminding one of the dance of a flame that seemed to spread the light of good news to those around him. His name was Nicholas. Nicholas and the children loved the maid dearly. Knowing her ways, they were not surprised when she was the first to humbly don an apron and assist at the side of the prince. 
Instantly, Nicholas and the children, to the maid's example, set to work preparing the remaining courses and servicing the enduring guests. Once, when the food appeared to be exhausted, Nicholas went to the maid and exclaimed, Mama, what are we to do? We are out of food. She smiled with deep and faith-filled eyes. Go to the prince and do what he tells you to do. It is he who is both host and feast. The prince asked Nicholas to bring jugs of water and a heavy stone, which Nicholas labored with all his strength to bring to the prince. Nicholas had done as the prince requested. To Nicholas's amazement, the water blushed into fine wine upon reflecting the prince's gaze. With a rumble like an earthquake, the stone broke easily in the prince's hand to become enough bread to feed everyone. My lord! Nicholas exclaimed in amazement. The prince responded with solemn certitude. This, in truth, is my very body and blood, which I give for you to eat, serve to others, and have life everlasting. Nicholas danced a small jig upon witnessing the remarkable miracles, and then immediately set to work calling to the other children to help distribute the new drink and food to the guests. So disarming was the joy of the children and the pleasant smile of the maid that the remaining guests joined in the service until at last all were happily serving each other and calling on Mama or the Prince for various directions in assisting each other. The food feast had become a love feast. When at last all had their fill, they applauded the king in great thanksgiving. This was the finest feast of their lives. The king rose from his throne, smiling. He solemnly wrapped a royal cloak patterned with stars about the maid's shoulders. In a voice that rose above the heavens and sounded like a trumpet blast, the king proclaimed to the maid, You are mother to us all, queen and mother of mercy. Above Nicholas's head, tongues of fire burst. He could see the same flames hovering above each guest as well as in his mother's heart inflamed in brilliance. The prince spoke. You are no longer servants and townsfolk, but rather brothers and sisters to me, as your mother is my mother. Royal princes and princesses of this kingdom, we shall dine together for each meal as we have just done. We are family for all of eternity. Slippers, to deliver good news, were fitted upon each foot by the prince. Nicholas and his siblings danced like dazzling fire, ready to pierce through all darkness. Merck's evil smirk, along with the chains and cuffs of iron, soon felt the 
burning radiance of this fire's heat. The unbreakable shackles fell from their prisoners in molten splashes, setting the captives free. You have just listened to On Your First Communion, written and narrated by Joseph Scordato. The Prince was played by Christopher. Mama Mary was played by Mary-Kate. The King was voiced by Joey. And Nicholas was, of course, played by our own Nicholas, for whom this story was written for. We thank you for joining in our family's meditation and celebration of that great Eucharistic Feast of Christ that forms the history and pattern of our lives and the revelation of our life with Him in Paradise. Let us pray together. Dear Father, who are we in your creation? that you bless us with adoption into your family of the Trinity. Mysteries and unfolding revelation after revelation abound as we begin to fathom the salvation, nourishment, spirit, and family you provide. The depths of your love know no end. We humbly and sincerely ask you to give us and our families that special grace of being single-hearted for you, able to resist temptations, distractions, and behaviors that only lead to the enslavement of ourselves and each other because they lead us away from you Sanctify us, Lord. Create us anew through your body and blood and set us aflame with your Holy Spirit to be your light to others in service, loving obedience, and unity with you and our Mother Mary. Bless all children like our cousins Kate and Fioretta and our own Cecilia, who have or are preparing to receive their First Communion. May they and others know and treasure this sweet intimacy with you as the mainstay of their life. Amen. From our family to yours, we wish you the incomparable freedom of life in Christ. Our meditation music is Morning Glory, written and performed by Emerald Wind. <laughs>